Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. With me today is the one and only Bridget Todd. Bridget, how are you on this day that is totally a different day than the last time we recorded? Oh, I'm doing great. This is a totally different day. Fresh energy. Love it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, Our producer is Sophie. Hi, Sophie. What's up? (laughs) Our audio engineer is Ian. Our theme music was written for us by Unwoman. And so this is a cool trans people in history week, apparently. And today... I've got a story that I'm really fucking stoked on. It's one of the most overlooked figures in history. I'd never heard of him. Today, we're going to talk about this doctor named Alan Hart. You ever heard of Alan Hart? I have not. I've asked my friends who were like, like he's an x-ray tech. And I asked my like radical x-ray tech friend and they were like, nope. And I asked my like trans man doctor friend. And he's like, nope. Like, he's cool. He's fucking. But, but in order to talk about Alan Hart, we've got to talk about tuberculosis. his favorite topic around here when i first started doing this podcast i told a ton of stories that took place in the 19th century and one thing that kept coming up over and over again every one of my stories if they weren't killed by the state they were getting killed by tuberculosis just over and over again this this fucking just murderer of people tuberculosis has been around in humans since basically forever actually unlike a lot of things like the flu only reached a lot of places in the medieval era and shit i don't that's not in my script don't quote me on that but like diseases get added to humanity over time like covid is going to be like a thousand years from now people will be like you know there's a time before covid you know it's so optimistic there's gonna be a people <laughs> thousand years so tuberculosis has been around forever in 2020 it was still the second leading of cause of death from an infectious disease second only to covid um wow it's particularly pre- prevalent in Southeast Asia, and there is antibiotic treatment available. And so it's seen as a disease of poverty, particularly common in places with overcrowding, malnutrition, poor sanitation, all that stuff. Most of the world uses a moderately, these days, not the days of the guy we're going to be talking about. Most of the world uses a moderately effective TB vaccine. Uh, but in the US, Canada, and Europe, TB is rare enough that most people don't get vaccinated. Instead, we focus more on preventative screening and things like that. Um, good testing and treatment can knock it down substantially, but of course that's not available everywhere because money 
and capitalism and such. So why are we talking about tuberculosis? Not just because it's my weird accidental interest, because we're going to talk about one of the people who dedicated his life to doing something about tuberculosis. A pioneer of TB detection, he's credited as having saved millions of lives, is the thing I keep saying. And he's also the first trans man to get gender-confirming surgery in the U.S., um, and the first sort of known in general in history, but I hate sweeping statements like that because, you know, there's always like uh, a culture that the West doesn't care about that's been doing it for centuries that we're going to find out about or whatever, you know? He was also a novelist who was writing gay characters more than 100 fucking years ago. And he was a fucking cool guy. His name is Alan L. Hart. He was born in October 1890 in Kansas with a girl's name. His parents were middle class. His dad was a grain merchant with a, in a small farming community. So probably kind of one of the more like pillars of the community type people. Or I don't know if he's a good person, whatever. Don't know shit about him. He dies real quick. Um, <laughs> it doesn't go well for the family in Kansas. Another old timey disease, typhoid, comes through and takes out not only, um, not only Alan's dad, but both of his mom's brothers in 1892. So his mom's not having a good time. Um, he's two years old. His mom, Edna, packs up her kid and moves back to Oregon near Albany. And she marries a, a new guy, and they have no kids. So Alan's an only child. Alan, like the other people we're talking about today, and this is not the only trans experience, Alan never had any doubts about his gender. Um, I think it is often the kind of people who needed it so much 100 years ago that they were willing to go through this incredible effort are more likely to have known since they were young. That is my personal guess you know as someone who like for my own i'm fairly open about this like i didn't know i was a girl when i was young i knew i wished i was a girl and there mm. did feel like a a difference there right um i like tried to pick a girl's name in fourth grade and then realized i was already getting beat up too much you know alan never any doubts about his gender he never expressed any interest in girly things only boy things he demanded pockets on all of his clothes. That was one of his big things. I love um, that. Uh, uh-huh. It's, I mean, women's clothing does not have enough pockets. And nope. I appreciate that it's like, you know what? Fuck this. It's pockets. I know. I have these, I have these I'm a nerd. I have women's tactical pants and they don't have back pockets. What? <laughs> they do have a reason. It's actually kind of a cool reason. They have this like huge zipper so you can kind of unzip the butt so you can piss outside without oh, taking your pants off. That's actually so it's actually sweet. Yeah, it's actually cool. But I just, just think I it was, was funny. Like, that, I was like, excuse me. And then I was like, very based. Okay. okay. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> okay. It was actually designed by some women. Like, they're, they're actually fairly nice. Um, anyway, so he demands pockets and all his clothes, which should be a unisex demand. Uh, he, made coll- he makes collars and cuffs out of cardboard to make his, like, girls' clothes look more masculine about, like, uh, you know, 19th century clothes. It's all weird and collary and stuff he told his mom uh you know he'd lost his his family right and mom mom was in trouble so he told his mom very calmly that he would grow up and would be a man and take care of her he liked to play civil war soldier he's white but he was born into kansas so i like to think he played union soldier but it might just okay. be because i like him a lot <laughs> he's a he's an outdoorsy boy uh he he likes chopping wood and carrying knives and shit. Anytime he gets any money, he goes and buys like men's straw hats and like pocket <laughs> knives and shit. I feel like I know his type. Like, <laughs> right. Totally. Buying knives and weapons and straw hats. Yeah, totally. Um, he, he would play dolls. 
uh, with with friends, neighbors who come over, as long as he was the father and the head of the family of the dolls. <laughs> what a good detail. I know. He followed his grandfather around dutifully. His grandfather is this like super tough outdoorsy type who played that. Do you ever play that game Oregon Trail? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, grandfather played Oregon Trail on hardcore mode where if you die in the game, you die in real life because you're actually on the Oregon Trail. <laughs> and so he's, he's homeschooled for a while and he's able to be himself while he's homeschooled because he lives out in the country. Uh, his mother and his grandparents supported him presenting as a boy or might be better to say they indulged him. But later they are outright supportive, which rules. We'll talk more about that later. When he was 12, though, his mom and his stepdad moved into town, and he started going to the worst of all schools, middle school. He, at school, he had to wear dresses, and he had to answer to Lucille. Classmates made fun of him for basically not being very good at pretending to be a girl. You know, they were like, why aren't you more of a girl? And he's like, nah, I'm a guy. <laughs> yeah. So he disappeared into his books and studies, um, and he was made fun of for being too skinny, and he got called the Living Skeleton, which is a really funny nickname. This doesn't roll off the tongue. It's a very complicated nickname for... Anyway. Yeah, it's not easy to shout at a child, at a young person. Like, hey, you yeah. living skeleton? Doesn't really yeah. work. No, I know. They really had to want it. He also realized that not only was he a boy, but he was a straight boy, which is to say, like, girls. He this does not get called straight <laughs> throughout his life. But he realizes he likes girls. And being same-sex attracted as a kid was actually not the red flag. Being same-sex attracted as a kid in this time and place was seen as natural, and it's the kind of thing one naturally grows out of unless one is specifically inclined to homosexuality. So, like, all kids kiss each other, but only the gay kids grow up still kissing each other is the kind of argument. Right. And kids exploring with each other was, was summed up as horseplay and nothing to worry about. So girls kissing other girls wasn't a sign of lesbianism. However, girls wishing they were boys was the scary sign of lesbianism. I know. I know. It's like, a, like kind of some weird logic there. I know. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this logic. This one gets into some of the like third sex and invert and a lot of the ways that shit gets discussed. Because um, we know more about... He gets written about more, and so there's more about him than some of the other people I've covered. He graduates second of his class out of 15, tiny, tiny class, and he goes first to Albany College, which later becomes Lewis and Clark College when it moves to Portland. And he, when he's in college, he writes and anonymously publishes in like the school newspaper or whatever, some love poems for a girl he likes. And this is the wild part. It works. Eva Cushman falls for him and the two start hooking up. The power of poetry. I know, I know. <laughs> it's not the best love poetry. I didn't include it. It's fine. It's like to my Irish Colleen that, or that whatever. That was like, wouldn't have worked on me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, I've seen pictures of this guy. It would have worked on me. Oh, okay. <laughs> he looks like my first boyfriend who's a trans man doctor. Love that. Um, <laughs> so, and so this was controversial that they were dating because they're adults, you know? Um, so they pretended it was a joke. And in the school newspaper, they announced, this is their writing. They announced, quote, Eva Cushman and Lucille Hart, that's Alan, hereby announced to the public that it is all a joke about them being in love and about to get married. <laughs> I love how, like, it's like, oh, the whole thing about us being in love and can't live without each other and, like, obsessed yeah. with each other. It's just a joke. <laughs> I know. Like, very detailed. <laughs> I ironically left her in my will. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> these are our ir- ironic great grandchildren. Yeah. These are our, uh, I, I, I ironically cradle her every night. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and so the two start taking trips into Portland, the big, you know, big city, to go see theater and hang out in late night cafes and shit and go be like cool hipsters in the 1910s, I think, and early 1910s. And in college, he still dresses as a girl, but in the most masculine way. It's this way that flags it at the time, but not to you now, right? I'm like looking at all these pictures of him and the, the, the writers will be like, and you can see here his masculine pose and dress. And I'm like, that is a lady with long hair and a collared shirt, <laughs> like ruffles everywhere, <laughs> wearing a skirt, you know? But at the time, he's, he's very actively presenting. He puts a man's tie with the, his women's shirt his long, hair is long, but it's sort of unadorned. And his posture and pose is clearly like masculine. And he's got fucking dom energy. He leads the women's debate team. I think he starts the women's debate team. Uh, and he wins state championship. He also competes in like all gender leagues with this. Um, he was the literary editor of the school's newspaper. Uh, but the whole time he's like writing about how he misses his idyllic boyhood, right? Um, running around and getting to be a boy in the countryside. After two years, him and Eva transfer to Stanford in California. And Eva's family doesn't have any money. So Alan, whose family does, pays for both of them. You know, ironically, just just gal pals. (laughs) It's all a joke. (laughs) Yeah, just ironically moving to California together to start our new lives. Um, Using his inheritance to pay for her tuition. He's offered a a place in a sorority, but he turns it down because they don't invite Eva. And... He doesn't stay with Eva, but he's a romantic. The two of them, they go into San Francisco now, and like they used to go into Portland, and it's just even fucking cooler. They're hanging out in the Tenderloin District where all the like queers are and stuff. Um, he starts wearing even more masculine clothes, including trousers. Ooh. I know. He also starts sleeping with, quote, dancing girls. He's really like finding himself out there. Yeah, yeah. He blows through his inheritance. Uh, he goes into debt. Him and Eva broke up. The thing I read was like Eva was like unexcited about him growing more and more masculine. But I have a feeling the fucking other ladies probably didn't help. Yeah, that might have been part of it. Um, he probably was like, nah, nah, babe, I swear. It's just ironic. <laughs> yeah, just I'm ironic doing it as a joke. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, wouldn't it be funny if I was having sex right now with this incredibly attractive lady? <laughs> I just think it'd be a, a dancing gas. girl. Yeah. Um, so they break up. Uh, I don't know what happens to Eva. I don't know whether she's able, because that's the other problem is if you go, you move with your boyfriend to California to go to college and he's paying for your college, you're kind of fucked. You break up. So I don't know. I don't know what happens to Eva. Hart starts dating an an older woman in her 30s um, who helped him like sit down and learn budgeting and shit uh, and basically like adult skills. (laughs) And he's a grown ass adult now too. You know, whenever you have like big age gaps and it's like worth pointing out that like everyone involved here is adults. But it is a little like it's very I, I it's very classic of like, oh, he's dating. He moves to the city. Yeah. Breaks up with his girlfriend. Dates an older woman who was like, here's how you pay a bill. Here's yeah. how you run a household. Yeah, I, totally. I, I've been that woman before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, he graduates. Uh, he goes back to Oregon for medical school where he's the only quote girl in the class. And along the way, he gets heartbroken. He has a string of relationships. He, whatever, this is not a downside. I'm just, I think it's cool. He lived a cool life. He got to experience the world. He gets heartbroken by a lady who was like, oh, totally, I love you. I'll totally leave my husband for you. Definitely, definitely full on gay like that. And then, and then she's like, wait, you're broke. 
and then breaks up with him. <laughs> yeah. It's happened to a lot of lesbians, I think. Or that's rough. I know. <laughs> that's rough. I know. And it's there in med school in his psychology books where he sees a description of himself. Um, a description like we were talking about, about books, right? He sees a description of sexual inversion. The problem is he sees it and it's a condition. It's a bad thing. You know, it's a disorder. He's devastated. There's something wrong with him. He's a, quote, homosexual. I mean, ironically, he kind of isn't, but, you know, whatever. And by the standards of the time, he was. He read everything he could in the school libraries, and he started talking to one of his professors who, to confuse the story as much as possible, is also named Alan, Dr. Joshua Allen Gilbert, which actually seems possible to me because this is around when he starts going by Alan, I think. It seems possible to me that he straight up was like, cool, nice name. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that. Yeah. So he goes to Dr. Joshua Allen Gilbert, who goes by Alan. And he's like, this is what the fuck's happening with me. I don't really know. And Alan Gilbert isn't really a sexologist. He's a psychologist, like a, you know, broader. But he develops an interest in sexology in order to help his student and now patient. He seems really cool. He's a very, I, I like all the good people in these stories. And so they're like, all right, let's figure this out. And they start seeking every you know, they're sciencey medical types. So they're going down every avenue they can. They like look for every psychiatric resource they can. They're inspecting his family lineage and looking for whatever signs of heredity of this, you know, homosexuality and sexual inversion or whatever. They're investigating his body for any signs of intersex traits. And they're like, oh, you are a little bit hairy in this spot or whatever, you know. And there's only one prognosis at the end of all of their studies. Alan is indeed a homosexual, an invert, and there is no known cure. Not even hypnosis works. They, they try. Alan Hart came up with a, a clever uh, solution to his problem. He's like, what if I just socially transition and live as a man? And Alan Gilbert is like, yeah, no, that, 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 that makes the most sense, right? And so, inverts. The discourse around this time would refer to Alan and people you know, like him as an invert, Uh, This wasn't actually meant as a slur. It was just meant as a description. In a weird way, there's this thing in the late 19th and early 20th century where all gay people were kind of considered sort of trans. Specifically, it was like a male soul in a female body or vice versa. Mm. And so what was now understood as transsexuality was extreme inversion. So this is why kissing other girls doesn't make you nearly as much of a lesbian as wishing you were a boy. I see. Yeah. And it's also tied into this theory that humanity is naturally bisexual. And by that, they don't necessarily just mean like like boys and girls, but they mean like uh, physically sexed in two ways and had evolved into heterosexuality and like greater differences between men and women. And that inverts kind of failed to sexually differentiate themselves. So this is how you get the third sex idea in people's minds is the we're like the er people or the original way of being before people evolved into boys and girls or whatever fucking nonsense. Huh. What's interesting to me is like, (laughs) even though this was a a long time ago, it's like, when I think about some of the really regressive things that people say about sexuality and gender today, listening to this almost sounds kind of quaint or something where it's like, oh, they're trying to explain, you know, how folks show up in a way that I feel like today there are certain people who are much more invested in things being a lot more rigid. At least this definition, like, allows for, you know, a little, like, you know, I don't know if I'm making sense. I'm kind of rambling, but... that's kind of interesting to me. It's kind of like being like, I don't know, you're queer. 
Which is how I identify as much as possible. It's like, be like, look, there are specific ways you can define me as a trans feminine person who's blah, 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 blah. I I tell people in person, but my, you know, details of my sexuality are not the audience's business. And that's why I like the word queer. Yeah, totally. It's because you're like, wow, I'm fucking not straight. What do you want? You know? Yeah, like, shit's a spectrum. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, I'm not bothered about it. Why are you bothered about it? But you know what I am bothered by? When I have to pay full price for goods and services instead of using <laughs> the, I don't think there's going to be any discount codes for you, dear dear listener. I'm sorry. There might be, um, but advertisers uh, are a thing that you can listen to or not. Here they are. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. And we are back. And so, and and this idea, this like kind of third sex or sexual inversion idea, you know, there's people fighting against it as well at the time, right? Because discourse has always been there. And so like some gay men in particular, for example, would like become as masculine as possible to fight against this. Be like, we ain't no sissies. I'm not like part girl. I'm extra man, you know? But overall, this is kind of where sexologists are at. And yeah, the sexologists, even when they're pathologizing, they are, as you're kind of saying, they're, they're sort of trying to sort it out, you know? And Alan's research into himself comes just slightly before similar research that was going to be done in Germany, starting in 1919 at the Magnus Hirschfeld's Institute for Sexuality. They're actually already starting to do this research in Germany also, but the, the institute sets up in 1919. And this matters because to today, basically, this is where the word transsexual was coined in 1923. And just to remind everyone, this is the place that the Nazis destroyed in those famous early acts of book burning. If you look up a picture of Nazis burning books, they are burning the books at the Institute for Sexuality because trans and queer people 
were at kind of the top of the Nazis list. Looking at you, Florida. Looking at you. Anyway, you can hear more about that institute and the Nazis and gay resistance to the Nazis on our gay resistance to Nazis episodes we did last year. Oh my God, they're so good. Oh, thanks. But of course, Hirschfeld wasn't the first person to like notice that some of us don't feel great about the gender societies foisted on us or the bodies we were born into. I want to quote a research paper by Colin P. Close about this. It's a research paper about Alan. Sexologists, those physicians and psychiatrists who developed the new scientific study of sexual desires, had been diagnosing and treating cross-gender identity and behavior in Europe as far back as 1860. In 1870, German neurologist and psychiatrist Carl Westfall described the phenomenon as, quote, the feeling of being alienated from one's own sex and called it, quote, contrary sexual feeling. He defined this reversal of sexual instinct primarily in terms of gender desires to be slash become slash be recognized as the other sex rather than same-sex sexual desires. His work influenced subsequent sexologists who used his term and developed others, such as sexual inversion, homosexuality. So there you go. There's everyone's backing in 19th century sexology. But now in the not present day, but 1917, he and his friend Alan Gilbert are like, let's do this shit. If we can't make me more of a woman, maybe we can make me more of a man, which was Alan's preference anyway. And so Alan Gilbert performs a hysterectomy, a full hysterectomy, and removes Alan's uh, uterus. And this procedure was already well understood, but it had never been considered part of gender-affirming surgery before. We didn't even know what testosterone was, for example, for another 20 years, or phalloplasty, like making dicks, wasn't invented for another 20 years either, um, which was originally invented for remaking the dicks of wounded soldiers, not as a, a gender... Well, it is a gender affirmation. If you, want your, if you don't have a dick and you want a dick, it's gender affirmation to give you a dick. Gender affirming care, yeah. yeah. And Dr. Gilbert, he goes fucking above and beyond. He does more than just the surgery. He goes through elaborate efforts to help socially transition his patient as well, including getting him a haircut and clothes, being like, oh no, honey, that's not going to work, you know, uh, to the legal name change, to possibly documents that are all proper and medical that are like, Alan is a dude, so that if he needs to, he can go get a passport, all at great risk to his professional standing. He fucking goes out on a limb about this. And Alan's picture in the yearbook that year when he graduates medical school is him with short hair, men's clothes, and the name Alan Lucille Hart. He didn't have to change his ID, like the, he had to change his name, but he didn't have to change the marker on his ID. Right, because driver's license didn't exist. Social security didn't exist. The passport's like the only fucking thing. I know, it's kind of crazy to think how much more rigmarole we all have to deal with today. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, there's no driver's license. It's just like, you're yeah. cool, you know? <laughs> it was like, today, in 2023, there's so much paperwork just to exist as a human in the world. I know, I know. And like, there's that whole thing where like credit scores weren't invented until I'm, I'm making this up. It's like the late 80s or some shit. I just found this out. Just in like, when yeah. I was a child, so like when I was born, they didn't yeah. exist. I just yeah. found this out. Yeah, no, and, and yeah, it's fucking... Yeah, can't wait till we all do our like, petty chips. Yeah, yeah, we need more hoops to jump through, more rigmarole. That's yeah. what we need. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and also, I mean, I always like think. Imagine being a criminal before fingerprints. <laughs> oh my god, we. If I were a criminal, like, what a time to be a criminal! You'd be out I here know. running wild. Like, I know. <laughs> like, I'll do whatever I want. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Prove it? I Go know, ahead. I shave my head. What do you want? A different person. <laughs> 
My name is uh <laughs> Oh, uh, I bet Sammy forgery now. was like a real like you probably a forge a forger forger a forger could have yeah. like yeah. really really ate back then. Oh, they did. Um, and it was funny because like crime rings and revolutionists were the best forgers. <laughs> Not surprised. Yeah. So he and he graduates top of his class. Um, he is the first quote woman to I think ever graduate from this particular medical school. It's which I didn't write down because I'm a good at my job. He's also not a woman, so but it be, but you know, whatever. Um, Doctor J. Allen Gilbert, the guy the guy who did the surgery, has a good quote about the whole thing. From a sociological and psychological standpoint, she is a man. If society will but let her alone, she will fill her niche in the world and leave it better for her bravery. And that is what he did. He goes out and he leaves the world better for his bravery. I'm gonna talk about his life after all this shit. First, he gets a job at a hospital as a male intern, only to get snitched out to the papers by some snitch from his graduating class. Mm. Papers across the West Coast run headlines like, Woman Hospital Intern Masquerades as Man. And the papers are like, she'd better return to her true nature. And, the, and this part is really interesting to me. They're mostly claiming that she's doing it to get the social benefits of being a man. They're like, and I feel like I've run across this in modern like turf logic, you know, where it's like, oh, you don't actually want to be a man. You just want to be in a better position within the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. I've definitely ran into that. Or like, I actually just saw this like horrible thing where it was like the idea that that like trans folks are like pretending because they want some sort of social benefit or like yeah. I want women to have to like bow down to me and I want to get I want to get into women's spaces so I'm pretending it's yeah. complete nonsense but yeah. it's it is wild that it still endures that like, they have not come up with more more material in like 50 years it still endures today no I know I know exactly nothing fucking changes in their rhetoric about it and like and I always think it's funny because it's like oh yeah like because like I think I'm a good case study because for a decade before I came out, I was named Margaret wearing women's clothes and just used he pronouns and referred to myself as a crossdresser. I was so much more socially accepted in all kinds of spaces. I mean, not literal women's spaces, which I started to be accepted into once I came out. But like the world loves a gender deviant man. Like, oh, thank God you are like doing something different with masculinity here are my panties or whatever. You know, like people like fucking love non-toxic masculinity and being a trans woman does not get you fucking social benefits. It just doesn't. It's so annoying Um, like that people say that. Um, But yeah, Uh, and I'm sure being a trans man just made his life harder. Um, But it... It wasn't his choice, you know? I mean, he was a man. He just happens to be a man who everyone's mad at for not having been born with a dick. So, so Alan, he goes to a, the Albany paper, his hometown paper, after he's, like, being talked about across the coast. And he basically, he's like, he gives an interview, I think, to kind of clear the air as best as possible. And he says, quote, I had to do it. For years, I have been unhappy with all the inclinations and desires of a boy I have been happier since I made this change than I have ever been in my life, and I will continue this way as long as I live. Very few people can understand. And he also, in the paper, he's like, he's kind of like holds up his like note from the doctor that says he's a boy. He's like, doctors examined me, and it turns out I'm actually male. 
which is like not technically a lie because this doctor did declare him male, but it wasn't actually an intersex condition. But that's basically, once again, the kind of defense that is available to people. And also, I mean, like all physical sex stuff is a spectrum, right? Um, with multiple dimensions. It's not just even a one-dimensional space with like boy and girl on each end, right? Um, and so like a lot more people have some elements of intersex characteristics than than are recognized, right? Um, so I'm not trying to say he didn't, but I think what he was saying was, doctor says I'm a boy, leave me a fuck alone, you know? Right. And his family accepts him. His mother and his grandparents, including, I believe, Oregon Trail dad, uh, granddad, they, when, when his grandparents die later, in their obituary, they list him as uh, their grandson. And it's just fucking rules and it matters so much. Alan marries a Portland school teacher named Inez Stark. They run off back to Albany, again, the lesser Albany, Albany, Oregon. And this is his hometown. And so people know his secret. He registers for the draft because he has to, because he's a boy, which we, we saw what happened last time, right? It's 1918. And he, he asks for an exemption. And the form, I looked at his draft card. It says like, um, are you asking for an exemption? If so, why? And he just writes, yes. He does not write a reason why. <laughs> but the local draft board quietly accept the exemption because they know and they just have his back that's the best i can figure out and he moves to a small nearby lumber town and he starts a small practice in 1920 dr gilbert releases an anonymous case report about the whole thing in scholarly journals once again kind of risking his career to stand up and say that hey this is what we did this helped like this is a decent treatment you know um it's published as homosexuality and its treatment in the journal of nervous and mental disease but Alan and Inez stay on the move. And they're going from small town to small town. Most likely, it's because people discovered his secret. It's also possible that they were afraid he would. Um, maybe he just had wanderlust. He did write later a novel in which a doctor moves constantly because scandal follows him everywhere. But the problem is, in these small towns, Inez has nothing to do all day. So she leaves him, which is fair. They're divorced in 1924. She goes on to become a Seattle a teacher in Seattle and later in Baltimore and lives to be 94 years old, going as. Alan winds up, he's single now. He winds up in Eugene, Oregon. He gets into writing and he gets into a woman named Ruddy. They get married in 1925. They stay together 37 years more until Alan's death. Um, I think he's learned his lesson and now he needs to prior realizes he needs to prioritize the life and interests of his partner, you know? So as far as I can tell, he's a fucking solid husband. I love it because it's like there's not a lot of conflict in this story that I'm telling you today. Yeah. It's just cool. I like it. Like yeah. he's a romantic. He like has some relationships. He's figuring him figuring himself yeah. out. Like, I don't know. Like people I, I don't know. Not every story needs to be full of conflict and yeah. and heavy stuff. Some sometimes just the journey of figuring yeah. out who you are is enough. Yeah, totally. And and he does really cool shit. It's just not dramatic. He starts writing books. He writes four successful and well-reviewed doctor novels, which I think is like medical TV drama, but in book form. And these books have gay characters and disabled characters front and center. I think a lot of queer folks were using disability as like a way to talk about being othered. Mm. Um, and I think maybe especially trans folks might have been doing that. I'm not entirely certain. And uh, his editor praised them as... Uh, Involved, including pleas for social justice. And his, he dedicated his first book to his mom. Like Aww. every male author, 
he struggled to write believable women characters. <laughs> he admits as much. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like moments like that where you're like, oh, yeah, no, I get it. You're a dude, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, it I don't understand the female out. mind. I've never had one, you know? <laughs> like, like, I don't know what they're thinking. Yeah. They want flowers. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and he also writes a por- for the public book about how x-rays work called These Mysterious Rays. Much like these mysterious deals that you can get from these advertisers. Ta-da. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf stem cell technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. So we're back. And more than writing, his whole thing and the thing he's remembered for, except when he's remembered as the first, you know, trans masculine person to receive gender affirming care in the United States, detecting tuberculosis with x-rays is a new study at the time. He is one of the first people to document how the disease spreads and specifically how important early detection was. Um, he's like probably the single person to develop preemptive screening. The idea of using x-rays previous to this was only like once there were symptoms. You'd be like, oh, I think I got TB. And so this is apparently the screening process that's still in place today in a lot of places. Although as, as um, we were learning during the last ad break that Bridget is aware of a another way that people get jabbed with things to do TB tests. A stab you in the arm way. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't remember. <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember like, going to the doctor at some point, and they're like, which shots have you had? And I'm like, I do not know the normal ones. <laughs> um, they don't like that answer. So I guess they give you new ones. Anyway, uh, this is 
thank you, Alan, for the screening process. He gives hundreds of lectures on this practice, and he just goes around trying to help people find TB. He goes to a lot of clinics, particularly public health clinics, places that do it for free. He goes, he's 40 years old. He goes and gets a master's degree in x-rays, I think radiology. And he's more than just an x-ray technician. He's organizing people on a massive scale. To quote an article from the Legacy Project Chicago, speaking nationwide on tuberculosis care, Hart dedicated all of his time to fundraising for medical research and to help support economically challenged TB patients. In a move to end the stigma of the disease, Hart spearheaded a massive nationwide campaign to use x-ray technology to screen, pre- to screen people. All of the groundbreaking visionary work Hart championed took place 20 years before the epidemiological test for tuberculosis was developed. As a result, it is thought that millions of lives were saved because of this one man's commitment. It's a fucking hell of a legacy. The Great Depression hits. That whole thing, that's like, that happens during his whole career. But the Great Depression hits. And he's offered a job by some giant evil medical company to write medical ad copy because he's unemployed. And he's like, no, I'm good. I would literally rather be poor than write that shit. Good for him. Yeah. And instead, he eventually finds public service work, I think in Idaho, running their TB program and stuff. And he gets on doing that. In 1935, writing about public health, he wrote, quote, the ugly things that have grown up in medicine are the result of the ugliness and falsity of society as a whole, of our American preoccupation with success and making money, of our concentration of effort on the production of things rather than their use for a fuller human life. So, like, kind of an anti-capitalist vibe happening in that line. Uh-huh. He's just fucking cool. Like, I keep waiting for the, like, you know, like, he's just doing his fucking thing. Uh, during World War II, he did his usual work, but for the army, screening recruits for TB. Obviously, it was sort of a, probably a dangerous time for him because, you know, doctors were getting drafted, including older doctors um, during World War II. But I think he just straight up volunteers and he's just like, he doesn't go into the army. He goes and just is like, look, I can do my doctor thing. That's great. In 1948, he goes back to college yet again, this time in Yale, um, in Connecticut, and he gets his second master's in public health. And he wanted to study not just how do I look into people's lungs and help them not die of TB, but how can we arrange society so that we can look into people's lungs and mass and help them not die of TB. He dedicated more than 40 years to preventing tuberculosis. Uh, impossible to count the number of lives he saved, particularly poor folks, the people who are most susceptible to it. And he died himself of heart disease in 1962. He was 71 years old. He was the head of Connecticut's tuberculosis program. And when he was a kid, he wrote down his three childhood, his three goals for his life. He wanted to be a physician. He wanted to be a successful writer. And he wanted to be a loving husband. Check, 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 check. Yep. His, his wife of 37 years lived 20 years after him, which is also a very masculine thing to do. <laughs> die before die, your die wife. Die early and like yeah. your wife just has like a... Yeah. Another 30 years without you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very, yeah. And, uh, and he was a private person to the end. He, he, he directed his attorney to destroy all of his personal papers and photos and shit when he died. And also to be cremated immediately and like not have his body, his, his ashes, like place in any ceremonial way anywhere. Mm. 
And so we don't know as much about him as as we'd like, because respecting people's dead people's privacy is annoying. But you know, he burned all his personal records. Um, and he also wanted that quote, "No memorial be erected or created or contributions made in my name to any charitable charitable education, medical or religious institution." He like, this is how fucking humble he is. He's like, don't put my name on some fucking building. He does not want the Allen Hart Tuberculosis Center. Do you think that's like, I'm sure part of it is just good old fashioned transphobia, but do you think that that's a part of why his legacy is is kind of forgotten? Like, in addition to transphobia, just that like he was not somebody who wanted his name like splashed on buildings, et cetera? I think so. I think he just was like, you know, I'm I'm sure some of it is that he's like sick of all the scandal and stuff that kept him on the move for a long time, you know? But I think he just was like, yeah, he just didn't want to be some name, you know? Um, and it wasn't until the 70s, more than a decade after his death, that people rediscovered that he was trans. He lived the last many decades of his life like without that being an issue in any part of his life, as far as I can tell. And I don't know, I, I guess I like, I hope you forgive me wherever you are. I think you were cool as hell and I'm talking about you 60 years after your death. Don't worry, I won't like create the Allen Hart Memorial Trans Tuberculosis Center or whatever. And there have been arguments ever since people rediscovered that he was assigned female at birth. Eh, honestly, I almost wonder if this is the shit he's trying to avoid. People, like, I, I talked about this in the Stonewall episode. Everyone argues about Stonewall, like who gets to own it. Like, mm -hmm. which letter of LGBT gets to own Stonewall? And the answer is that we all fucking own it. And like, fuck you, why are we bothering arguing about this? But people have argued ever since rediscovering his his trend, his assigned female birthness um, about whether or not he was a transsexual, uh, a term that didn't find in, its way into U.S. discourse until after he died, or if he was a lesbian or whatever. Um, and I don't know what to call him in terms of like, People have been like, oh, you can't call him transgender because he didn't call himself that. But I can call him what he called himself, which is a trans, uh, not a trans man, a man. He was a man. Like, he, adjectives be damned. He was very clear about how he identified, which is that he was a man named Alan Hart. And he was a good one. So Yeah, this is like the platonic ideal of the title of the show. Just cool people who did cool stuff. I know. I want to go out and like do some outdoor adventures in Alan's honor. Just like yeah. go pitch a tent and dig a hole and poop in it. Yeah. If, or whatever you do outside. No, that's good. That is the way that you poop outside. Don't don't not dig a hole before you poop. Um, that's the bad way. Good advice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's uh, the Cool Zone Media's official stance is that everyone go poop in a hole. But also just like yeah, the the like I just love his whole arc. I love him as the like outdoorsy kid like just who wants to like go outside and play and follow grandpa around and shit and just like the fact that his grandparents like wrote him properly into their obituary like made me tear up while I was while I was researching all of this because that shit matters and if you're ever on the fence about like well I doubt anyone's listening to this is like really on the fence about trans acceptance or whatever but like that shit changes everything like the fact that he dedicated his book to his mom is just like it's it's almost certainly because his mom just accepted him right um and like means fucking everything to people 
that's what I got. That's what I got for uh, Transestory Week here on on um, Cool People Did Cool Stuff. Um, I'm sure this is a topic I will be returning to. But, yeah. I'm so glad you're doing this series. I'm so glad to have been here for it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I want to hear the Margaret version of, like, all the cool shit that Margaret does. Like, <laughs> you know. It's, it's, ni- it's nice to think of, like, the legacy and then seeing trans folks be their beautiful, brilliant selves and, like, get it, getting to do that. It's like, we all win when that happens. And it's really beautiful. No, that's such a good point that just, like, that I'm amazing. No, um, it's such a good point that, like... <laughs> Yeah, because I, I, it's sometimes when I when I get caught up in history, I get actually kind of like lost in the detail of like this story. I sort of detached from everything, even where in the back of my mind I'm like, but I, I'm worried about some shit happening now or whatever. But I do love how much in 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 the Stonewall episode. I I know you weren't the guest for this, but you'll get to listen to it soon. I hope. Um, it it one of the people who was involved in the early gay rights movement referred to himself as a human battering ram. And he was like, if it takes me breaking the way for other people, then I guess that's what I'm going to do, even though I'm a scared sissy at heart, right? And like, and what's so interesting is just like, people of, who are marginalized along any fucking line are constantly doing that. You know, there's all of these people who came before whose shoulders we stand on. And then like, it's even like funny to me because I've only been out for six, seven years or something like that. You know, and already to, I'm like a, I'm an elder, <laughs> you know, to some folks. Yeah. And like, I'm like, what? What the fuck? I'm just a millennial, but, um, but I'm an elder millennial. So, and being like, oh, okay. Because these things that when we're doing it, we don't realize we're doing history, you know, like Alan probably wasn't like, hell yeah, I'm the first guy to get his like shit ripped out, you know? He was just trying to fucking live his life. And then by doing it, he made shit easier for people in so many ways. Well, if we want to make it easier for people to find you on the internet, how can Another I do that? Another masterful transition. Thank you. Thank you. You can follow me on social media, on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC, on Twitter at Bridget Marie, or on TikTok at Bridget Todd Makes Podcasts. Oh, wait, no, Bridget makes podcasts. Uh, <laughs> I love your TikToks. Oh, my God. I'm trying my best, girl. It's like, it's like TikTok is, I used to make fun of people who were like on no, TikTok, TikTok all the time. No, your TikToks are good. Shit is hard. Like, it's intimidating. <laughs> it is. It's it's not easy. Yeah, you can follow me on TikTok. You can listen to any number of the podcasts I have. My Cool Zone Media Show, Internet Hate Machine, iHeartRadio, There Are No Girls on the Internet, uh, DC's CityCast, local news podcast. And next chapter podcasts beef. Hell yeah. Sophie, you got anything? Well, I never plugged my Instagram. It's uh Sophie underscore Ray underscore of underscore sunshine. I think I did that right. Yeah. You specifically conveyed that the ray of sunshine is sarcastic. I'm glad that you were able to convey <laughs> that in the uh, <laughs> in your statement. No, it's, <laughs> it's actually it's actually a family nickname. That's what all my relatives call me. Oh. That's sweet. And you are a ray of sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. I came out blonde and everybody was like, oh, that's weird. And then I've been <laughs> Sophie Ray of Sunshine ever since. Yeah. Uh, you can read my most recent book, Escape from Insel Island. It is very short. You can read it in an afternoon. Um, it's available from Strangers in the Tangled Wilderness or wherever you buy your books. 
And you can follow me on social media at Margaret Kiljoy on Instagram, at Magpie Kiljoy on Twitter until that implodes. Um, I'm technically yeah. on Mastodon, but I don't know and or use it, which is not a value judgment. It's, if anything, it's a value judgment on me. And you can hear more from me next week on Cool People. I can't even do the... Don't do it. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. Cool on this podcast. That's cool what stuff. Yeah. Bye. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.